This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. you got a monster-sized appetite, boy, do we have you covered. It's episode 495 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yep, it is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. If you're celebrating, if you're not, hey, just, you know, happy what, Thursday, I guess? <laughs> so either whether you're celebrating or not, thanks for spending a few minutes with me. And I've got some really fun stuff for you today. I've got Matt Shackman, who's the director of the first couple of episodes of, Mon- of Monarch Legacy of Monsters, the Godzilla series. That is on Apple TV Plus. That's streaming right now. Actually, all three, three first three episodes are streaming right now. If you want to check that out, so we'll talk to him about that. Also, if you've seen the movie Thanksgiving, the horror movie from Eli Roth, I've got Jenna Warren here who plays Yulia on the mo- in the movie, and yeah, we'll get all the inside info. It's gonna be spoiler free too, by the way, in case you haven't had a chance to check it out and you're just thinking, mm, should I spend part of my Black Friday weekend checking that out or not? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and give you a little bit of insight with her. On that, also going to give you my review of the Creator, which is now on digital HD. If you're looking for a digital gift for that special sci-fi fan in your life, talk about that. Also, I'll talk about Murder at the End of the World, the new series on FX on Hulu. I'll give you my thoughts on that as well, and some very interesting nerd news to talk about while we're at it. But let's keep things moving. Up next, going to talk about Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Get Matt Shackman's thoughts on that on the down and nerdy podcast this is jason lyles from rampage the movie and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast you know godzilla but do you know monarch monarch a legacy of monsters is now streaming on apple tv plus and this gives you not just godzilla but a little bit more information on these toho monsters and you know who's responsible for all of this and what the origins of this whole thing are and that's kind of one of the things that this show is all about. We're playing in two different timelines here as well. Got a chance to talk to director Matt Shackman about the show and all of those things. And, you know, even when you only have five minutes, you try and get as much information as you can, right? So here's my conversation with Matt about Monarch, a legacy of monsters. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I know that you're the director of the first couple of episodes, so you're kind of like the first impression that the audience is going to get on this thing. So what was your main focus in kind of hooking people right away with this thing? 
I love Godzilla. I've loved Godzilla since I was a kiddo, so it was such an honor to, to be invited into this party. Um, and I was so impressed by what the creators of the show, Matt Fraction and Chris Black, had created, you know, what they had designed, was really a human-centric way into the MonsterVerse, which was, you know, instead of trying to sort of be in the stratosphere as Kong fights Godzilla, which is amazing, and I love that, they were telling the story of what it was like to be down on the ground, to be, to be witnessing these events and to see the world change in front of their eyes. And then to have to pick yourself up and live in a world where these monsters exist. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to, to build a world where titans were real, to talk about the emotional effects of, of that on these characters. But at its heart, man, it's a really, really good drama. And I loved the characters that they had created. And I was really, you know, excited about telling their story. No doubt. Do you kind of feel like being able to finally tell this from the monarch side, does that sort of maybe freshen up the Godzilla franchise a little bit and maybe really give you a chance to do something different. It, this is definitely different. You know, I don't know that Godzilla needs to be freshened up. That guy is amazing. He's been crushing it for 69, 70 years, and, and, and he'll be around for a lot longer because everybody loves Godzilla. You know, he's, he's awe-inspiring. He's, he's the best of what, you know, cinema can do. He's full of wonder. He's beautiful and terrifying and uh, unknowable all at the same time. And the great thing about Godzilla is he sort of works as this prism to look at your particular life and moment that you're making a Godzilla thing. He becomes this allegory, this metaphor, this way of looking at the world. And this obviously came out post-pandemic. We were creating it right sort of as the pandemic was ending. And there's so much of that in our world building as you try to you know, adjust yourself to, to a new reality. Um, but yeah, we got to focus on Monarch, but it really was about focusing on the, the Randa family. And it was about this multi-generational family drama, this idea of legacy, which is, of course is in the title, this notion that you know we're telling the story of the grandparents and the foundation of Monarch is there, of course, but it's really about their experiences, their love story, and how that trickles down to their, you know, to Hiroshi, the next generation. And then all of the things that, that he has done and experienced trickles down to Kate and Kentaro, including a lot of trauma, you know, uh, that, that, that gets passed down generation to generation. So monarchs there, the monsters are there, but they're all organically a part of this human story about the Randa family. And I thought, wow, this is a very clever way to sort of look at this world in a way that, yeah, certainly in a way that they haven't done before. No doubt about it. Definitely a lot of stuff going on there, which sounds really, really great. Now we have seen in the trailers for the series that we're not going to have a shortage of monsters and titans here. Matt, so how much can you actually tell us about some of the Titans you were able to use and maybe bring in something new to the table as well? Yeah, you know, th that was one of the joys of it is playing in the sandbox, the Toho sandbox and all the legendary kaiju that, that, that exists there. Also, the ones that have been created as part of the legendary monster verse. So we have classic characters like Godzilla, of course. We also have characters that show up, like in the pilot, there's a big scary bamboo spider that uh, you probably saw in, in Kong Skull Island. So there's a nod to that. But then we also got to create our own creatures, creatures that fit uh, moments and environments that we needed our characters to be in. And that was fun, you know, being able to create those, look at, at pictures of strange bugs and, and things that exist in the world, and then imagining smushing them together with something else and making them big and then sending them out to chase one of the characters that you love. Um, that's just a whole lot of fun. Really quickly, talk about this cast that you got to work with, especially with Wyatt and with Kurt Russell and, and just working with these dueling timelines as well, because I feel like you got something pretty special going on there as well. 
100%. It's a great cast, top down, everybody in this cast. You know, every time you go to cast something, the characters are so rich and alive on the page, and you're like, gosh, I hope I can find the exact right person to bring this character to life. And, and man, do we find tons of wonderful actors to every single character brought to life in such a wonderful, perfect way. Um, Kurt and Wyatt are brilliant actors on their own, and the fact that they also happen to be father and son and also happen to have a striking resemblance to each other and happen to be the right ages for these characters that we needed felt just like a gift from the heavens. Um, and that we could have a, it works with the authenticity of the storytelling as well. You're not having to fake, you know, and sort of squint and go, oh, yeah, that younger actor kind of looks like that older actor. Like these guys are, are absolutely, you know, sharing the same DNA. Um, and it was fun to watch them because they're very different actors approach building one character, a character that would grow and change over the course of the series, of course, but that would bring things that, that Kurt does and bring things that Wyatt does that are, that are different and create something um, together as a joint project. It's really cool. Can't wait for everybody to see it on Apple TV Plus on November the 17th. Really, really excited for Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Max Shackman, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That is one thing you notice pretty early on in this series is the love that Matt Shackman has for Godzilla and these characters, but also the fact that, hey, there's more of a story here to tell, and that's one of the things that's made very, very evident early on. And I could tell you that you know you worry about you know these dueling timelines on this thing and you know how much are we going to get the monsters involved and how much are they not going to be involved or are they not going to be involved at all. I'll be honest, the, the mix I think is pretty darn good. Maybe even better than they've been able to do in some of these movies up up to this point. So I got to give them a lot of credit for that. Now, can they keep this pace going? We're only a few episodes in here. We'll have to wait and see, but I like what they've done with the development of these characters and the fact that, again, maybe we're going to get some answers here about Monarch and about you know what the hell's been going on with these monsters all of these years. So yeah, it's very exciting to see the show take this level of care and, and to go the direction that it's going. And hey, we've, we've still got plenty of episodes left to go to unravel this thing. So I'll definitely have to get more information on it as we go throughout the season. Monarch Legacy of Monsters now streaming on Apple TV Plus for your Godzilla fan. Yeah, you gotta have this one for sure. That's good enough for my interview with Matt Shackman, the director of the first couple of episodes of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Up next, hey, the interviews don't stop here. Let's talk to one of the actors. Yes, we're going to get to talk to actors again. How about that? Jenna Warren talks to me about Thanksgiving. And yes, even My Little Pony. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yes, it is the season of giving, but uh, this might be giving to the creeps a little bit if you've seen this one. Thanksgiving, which is now in theaters from TriStar Pictures, and Sony as well. And yeah, it's been scaring the hell out of people so far. And Yulia, big part of what's going on there. And this is the actress that plays right here, Jenna Warren. Jenna, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? Very Oops, good. Me... How, how good is it to actually be able to talk about this movie, get the word out there with everything kind of being settled with a strike and everything? How relieved were you all that you were actually going to be able to get out there and really push this thing? Oh, you know, we were so thankful just to even be able to come together as a cast and watch the film. That was something that I think upset us the most is, is you know, knowing that we we wouldn't even necessarily get to watch it together. And, you know, of course, we're all in support of our unions and and we're so thankful they worked so hard to resolve the strike. And just timing is a is a beautiful thing. And, and I'm so thankful that that it all it all worked out. 
let's talk about how you got involved with this project because you've seen these kinds of movies kind of bright we, we've seen christmas themed hat you know valentine's day themed not a lot of thanksgiving stuff out there so when you get approached for a project like this what's your mindset at going into something like this what did you kind of expect i was so excited because i'd worked with eli in october of the year like before we filmed so 2022 and um we did a Halloween project together, actually. So I, I was already really excited to uh, work with him on that. And then when I got the audition for Thanksgiving, I was like, wow, he's actually making it because, you know, we've we've heard the rumors and, you know, it's been in talks. But to actually see that audition come through and, and to be a part of a, a holiday movie, that's, you know, not one that's really been made before. It was the coolest feeling knowing that I could be a part of history in a sense. Um, and to do it with Eli, I mean cherry on top no doubt about that how fun was it to kind of lean into it too because i mean you you kind of work black friday in there you got you're in plymouth sort of thing how fun was it to kind of lean into that whole thing like if we're going to do the whole thanksgiving thing we're going to go all out oh it was so much fun you know there was so much um uh like camaraderie from the cast and and we had turkeys and we had masks and we had a whole thanksgiving dinner set up so it, it we definitely were in the spirit of fall and thanksgiving throughout the whole shoot talk about your cast a little bit because we were talking a little bit before we got started about how kind of tight-knit this cast was and you've actually got some for anybody that's seeing this video you got some memorabilia back there from from the, just how close of a group was this well, I actually just got off a group FaceTime call with every single nice. one of the cast literally nice. minutes before this, if that says anything. Yeah, no, we got super close really quickly. Um, it was a pretty quick shoot. So we just wanted to be around each other all the time. We would have sleepovers, movie nights. Uh, we would all go to set together in the middle of the night, even when we weren't supposed to be there. It was it was such a special experience. And, you know, we've kept in touch, obviously, since filming and we're just so thrilled for each other and supportive of each other and um i honestly couldn't picture doing this alongside anyone else um i love them so much um i i got very lucky tell us a little bit about yulia what was the what was the most exciting thing about getting to play her she's a little princess um it's fun to play someone who is a little bit um out of out of who you are um but she's just really fun. She loves her girls. You know, she's got a crush on this boy, but she doesn't want to admit it. And then this crazy thing happens and, and a year later they end up together. So, you know, um, it was really fun getting to tap into the, those emotions, which we've all experienced growing up, you know, um, uh, not fully like admitting that you have feelings for someone and then an event happens. You're like, wait a second. Hey, how's it going? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just really fun to tap into the sort of um, that diva essence, but also she's really fun and down to earth and um, just likes to have fun with her friends. And and that obviously got her into some trouble during the, during the movie. So. No doubt about that. Talking to Jenna Warren, who plays Yulia on Thanksgiving, which is in theaters right now from TriStar and Sony pictures. So you can go ahead and see what Yulia is all about there. Uh, talk a little bit about the villain in this movie. Cause we, we obviously we see, we see the poster, we see the mock-up the first time you get to see your villain on set. What is that moment like? Is it is it freaky or is it like, yes, this is exactly kind of what I was hoping for? 
It was so cool because we all had, you know, envisioned, I, I think, our own version of, of who John Carver um, was going to be and look like in characteristics. And then, you know, they went through so many masks before they they chose the mask they went with. And then actually it changed it at the end of the film. So um, it was really cool to see that come to life. And it was really freaky the first time we saw them, like, get all suited up and and with the mannerisms as well. Um, but it, it's really cool because, you know, you didn't realize it at the time, but we were looking at what could become like one of the next iconic killers, which is kind of crazy, um, but really, really cool. And when you just see them lying around sad, they're not that scary, except for when, you know, they're trying to kill you. Well, but there were masks everywhere. And and I, I didn't actually take one home, but um, they were laying around. So, you know, I, I wasn't uh, that scared. Talk about the fan reaction that you've gotten so far to this thing, because I think it, it's gotten some really good reviews so far. People seem to really be digging it. And in the horror genre, that's not an easy thing to sell to fans. So how excited were you guys to kind of start to see this really good reaction from fans? You know, I think we all knew that we were creating something really special and Eli has a wonderful fan base and the horror genre, we were told, you know, they're very loyal. And so once you get them, you know, you got them. And so the response has been incredible. People have been so kind and, and welcoming us with the open arms. The fan edits are already insane. Um, it was crazy. Like the first night the movie dropped, I was like scrolling on TikTok and I was seeing edits of myself and I was like, wait, this just came out. Like, how are they already getting this? I didn't waste any um, time. Yeah, but it, it's it's so cool. You know, I think that's that's always, you know, a nice feeling when it's well received. And that's not something that I can control or any of us can control. So um, I think we're just really grateful to have gotten the response so far that we have. So you got to be thinking about sequels, right? So now you got to think of sequel names like, you know, next Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving, something like that, right? Oh, totally. Um, or don't mess with John Carver. You saw what he did last year. Um, this is why I'm an actor and not a writer. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> could be the next one. But yeah, it's it's cool to think about. Give it time, Jenna. Give it time. You'll get there, I'm sure. I did want to talk about something else that that's, that's a part of your career, though, because it couldn't be more of the opposite end of the spectrum and i'm talking about sunny star scouts from uh, from my little pony how much fun is it to kind of be a part of that fandom because people don't understand jenna that aren't that don't have daughters at home like i do or something like that how big this my little pony thing really is until you're in it oh it's huge um i didn't believe that i, I got the part when my agent told me um because i couldn't believe you know they chose me to lead this franchise into the next the next chapter and those fans again were incredibly welcoming and warm and I've had the honor of meeting so many of them through different conventions all over the world I got to go to Amsterdam with my dad last wow. year and that was so fun so you know I've I've had some experience with conventions but Eli said that the horror conventions are a whole other level so um I'm, I'm definitely excited to you know possibly tap into that as well and and see what the the horror conventions are all about but yeah sunny and my little pony so much fun um that's the fun thing about this job you know you get to be a pony by day and run away from killers by night so <laughs> i could just see you on your convention circuit now where you've got the the convention where you've got you go from horror convention meeting those fans and then going to you know like to, to do more of more of my little pony thing in your next convention yeah. so you could really that could really be a little bit of a roller coaster that could be fun Totally. Exactly. I'm all for it. Let's go. 
Absolutely. So again, you're part of a couple of big franchises or hopefully one that could be a big franchise already. Anyway, what's next for you? Is there something that you've really got your sights set on? You're like, okay, if we're going to do this franchise thing, what's another one you could see yourself jumping into at some point? Oh my goodness. So many. I love that question. Um, I really want to do a series really badly. Um, I love action um, movies. I love you know, I just finished watching Gen V and I think that that would be a crazy show to be a part of um, anything like the Marvel universe, anything where I can be, you know, a badass and just fight bad guys and be all cool looking. And uh, yeah, I think it's really fun to to get to play and work amongst um stories that that you know can't really transpire in the real world and so that's where you know you get to play on set and have so much fun flying through the sky and fighting zombies and you know so i i think anything in that realm would be super fun to tap into oh absolutely okay since we're talking about thanksgiving before i let you go i gotta know what's one thing other than turkey of course or whatever the the meat of choice is at your house What's one thing you have to have on your Thanksgiving table, but also one thing you don't want anywhere near your Thanksgiving table? Okay. I love stuffing. It has to be. It's a it's a okay. staple, you know, and my siblings would kill me if I didn't say mashed potatoes and gravy because they always make these like um, mashed potato sculptures and then put the, the gravy in the middle and, you know, scoop it. And that's something I can't have near me. <laughs> corn um thanks to Eli Roth wow um, well I love corn but it has scarred me for life um always looking over my shoulder if I see corn in the grocery store or something yeah and if you want to know what she's talking about you're probably going to want to go see Thanksgiving which is in theaters right now from Sony and TriStar and see why Yulia's now scarred poor Jennifer life and of course follow her work in My Little Pony Sunny Star Scout as well. Jenna Warren, thank you so much for taking your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And if if anyone, if you're bored, you know, maybe check out our movie. That'd be cool. So this is definitely one of those movies where you kind of know what you're expecting going into it. But at the same time, if you're in to these types of horror movies that have just, you know, that dive right in and lean lean right into the fact that, yeah, the name of the movie is Thanksgiving. And that's kind of what we're going to do, we're going to put our horror spin on it. If, if you've liked some of like the Christmas versions of these and they've done Valentine's Day ones as well, this is, you know, quite similar to that. And again, if you're an Eli Roth fan, you kind of already know what you're expecting anyway. And it, ju- and it really does take this thing up to another level as well. So, yeah, Thanksgiving now in theaters and Jenna Warren as Yulia. Yeah, I think th- I think you'll enjoy seeing her performance in this thing for sure. Again, thanks to Jenna Warren for joining me to talk about Thanksgiving and My Little Pony, by the way. I didn't think I'd talk about those two things in the same interview, but here we are. Up next, let's talk about some sci-fi, shall we? I'm going to review The Creator from 20th Century Studios. My spoiler-free review of that movie is next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? 
New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The War for Humanity is on. The creator is now available on Digital HD from 20th Century Studios. And of course, they provided me with a free copy of this thing for review. All opinions here are my own. It's also going to be coming out on physical media as well. That means Blu-ray, DVD, all that stuff in a couple of weeks here in December. So I want to make sure that you know about that if you're a collector of physical media. I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of this thing in case you've been on the fence about checking it out. I kind of waited. I did not see this in theaters either, so I got to go in fresh to this thing. And in case you don't know the premise, it's basically there's a war going on between humanity and artificial intelligence. There's robots with AI. They, some of them kind of look like humans as well. And then you have a, a guy named Joshua who's played by John David Washington. He's a former soldier who's kind of on this mission. He's kind of he's undercover. I can tell you that much without spoiling anything. He's undercover, and he's trying to find this secret weapon called Nermada. And they've built this... Well, see, Nermada is who is the father of or the creator of artificial intelligence and who they sort of worship. So then they're, he's basically trying to find this weapon that they built to find out that the weapon is, is a child. And who's, you know, we'll, just, we'll just call the child Alfie at this point because that's what the child is called it's, it's at a certain point in the movie. And, and he has his wife, Maya, and, and something happens. And then we jump off ahead in the future a few years in this war. And that's sort of where the story really, really picks up is when they kind of bring Joshua back in. They do a good job at the beginning of this thing kind of setting up Joshua's character and his mindset and all of that thing, all, all that stuff and, you know, finding and, you know, setting up, you know, some, some tragedy for him, some really meaningful moments and setting up the later on that some of the choices that he's going to have to make in this movie at some point. So th- they did a great job at character building for that character. But here's the thing that kind of made me go, ah, and I started waning a little bit. And, and maybe it's just me, okay? But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, I, Gareth Edwards does a great job directing this thing. Visually, it's striking. But at the same time, story-wise, I look at it and I go, you know, ah, I kind of am over this whole humans bad kind of storyline, right? So so we see this a lot, in, especially in science fiction movies lately, where humanity is is kind of the heavy, right? They're the evil ones. 
and I get the vibes for that here. I mean, even and, and the way it's portrayed kind of feels that way. I'll I'll say that. All right. So the way it's portrayed kind of feels that way. And are, are there a lot of awful people in this world? Absolutely. Do we get to hear about them a lot? We sure do. Does that mean that we should make, you know, humans evil all the time? No, I don't think so. But there's definitely going to be some push and pull here. And where is and especially where there was for me, where I'm not saying you have to root for one side or the other, but when you find yourself rooting for artificial intelligence, you know, most of which, you know, artificial intelligence sure, sure can scare the hell out of me at times. I don't know how you feel about AI, but certainly can scare the hell out of me. And you'll find out in this movie, there's certain things about AI that should, you know, that that's the other thing. It's, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, okay. It's a little freaky, you know, cause this could be where AI is going at some point, or maybe already is, and we don't know, but I'm not going to climb down that rabbit hole right now. But again, the whole evil humans thing kind of gets to me a little bit. It kind of took me out of it a little bit. Although I will say Allison Janney, We've seen her and how funny she can be, and we've certainly seen her in some dramatic roles, but as Colonel Howell, this is a very different Alice and Janney than you're used to. She's certainly not in the West Wing anymore. Let's just put it that way. It's a very, very different character for her, something very much outside of her comfort zone. As far as her performance goes, top freaking notch, because I didn't know she had that gear, quite frankly. It was, it was a really, really good portrayal of this colonel, especially once we st- once we really start to get in the thick of things. And and but seeing her lead the charge was also different too. And I thought that that was really, really great that they ended up doing that. But this was to me at the heart of it, very character driven when it came to Joshua's character and Alfie's character, especially since they got to spend a lot of time together. And you could see how Joshua's character evolves throughout the movie as well. And you could see the impact that Alfie has on Joshua and Madeline Yuna Voilis, who plays Alfie, the young the, the the young actor that does that, and just wonderful job because there's some incredibly emotional scenes in this thing. And if you're that young and you can hit another gear like that, just unbelievable, really. And we get to see you know certain people come into the lives of these characters as well as things go out. And, and it, it, I'm not saying the movie forces you to make a choice between, you know, who's bad here, the humans or AI, but it certainly kind of feels that way at times, right? And there are some lighthearted moments in this thing because you are still talking about a child here. And I'm not saying you're going to get any chuckles from this thing either, but at the same time, there's some lighthearted moments, but then you get to see what the world has become with the influence of AI and the decisions that were made because of it and but this the one thing that this movie i think does really well also it's not a foreshadowing type thing it's not like one of those it's not like a warning shot either where it's like you know hey if we do this this is what our world could be no it doesn't do that it just tries to tell a story from a certain perspective and i'm not going to tell you the catalyst of how the war started or anything like that or what what brought about it or and but there is a very interesting moment where sides are chosen at that catalytic moment and that kind of steers the ship a little bit. I also feel like there were some missed opportunities here too because you're kind of only telling stories from two different countries' perspectives and we don't really get the perspective of the rest of the world, right? They kind of they kind of gloss over it a little bit, which I think is interesting. So it's almost like you've got these two different countries whereas in the beginning of the movie they say, "Well, no, it's it's just, you know, 
here's this one country that made this decision, and here's you know everybody else that made this decision. And we don't really get to see anybody else's involvement except these two different countries. So I just thought that that was also kind of an interesting choice that it's not it, they make it seem like it's a worldwide decision and then it's not a worldwide decision all of a sudden or or maybe I missed something maybe I maybe I you know just skipped over that part or something I don't know but I certainly didn't see it when I was when I was watching this thing so I again I thought that was kind of an interesting choice too so it is a good movie and again John David Washington's performance alone is just incredible the levels that he hits with this character of Joshua, I think are really great. I think it ends well. The movie definitely ends well. You get you get a lot of closure at the end of this thing. So if you're worried that it's going to be open-ended, you're not going to know. And there's, there's some open-endedness to this, but there's also a lot of great finality to this thing as well. And is, is this something where it kind of leaves the door open a little bit? Yeah, but I don't think that's what they were really trying to do here. I think that this, this was a story that was trying to be told encapsulated with these characters and it makes it feel more character driven as well they're not trying to necessarily build anything here they're just trying to tell a good science fiction story and, and it was good but that's just it it was good it wasn't great if there were a couple of different changes i think they could have made it great but it also could have made the movie like three hours long and i'm glad that they didn't do that because at 215 it was already you know plenty long enough so I'm glad that I watched it. Do, when I watch it again, I don't know. I'm glad I saw it. I think it was there were parts of it that were well done. Would I do it again? I don't know. So I'm curious to know what your opinion would be on that. But if you like good sci-fi and you like a good one-off, the creator is certainly worth your time. From 20th Century Studios, of course, now available on Digital HD. It's going to get a Blu-ray, DVD, 4K release, I believe, in December. I think December 12th-ish is that when that's going to be coming out so you can check your retailers that are still selling those things for that. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free, mostly, review of The Creator. Up next, let's talk about Murder at the End of the World from FX and Hulu. My kind of spoiler-free review of that as well. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Stephanie Phillips, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who's up for some sleuthing in the middle of nowhere? A murder at the end of the world is now streaming on FX on Hulu, which is still confusing to say out loud, but here's where we are with this thing. So this series now, we are how many episodes in are we as I check here? So the first, now three episodes have already been streaming on FX on Hulu. I want to actually give you my spoiler-free review of this thing just in case you haven't had a chance to check it out because that's what Thanksgiving weekend is, is partially about, right? It's catching up on stuff that you haven't had a chance to watch yet. And we follow a woman, basically a woman named Darby Hart. She's kind of an amateur sleuth. And by when I say that, she kind of looks at cold cases. And there's like an online forum for this thing as well, you know, back when those were still a thing. And she ends up being an author as well because of this. So I should mention that, by the way, this is directed by Britt Marling and Zal but um, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce that name. So sorry, Zal. <laughs> there's just no way I'm going to be able to pronounce your last name and do it justice. So they're the same ones that did the OA on Netflix. So you can kind of, it's a very similar vibe, quite frankly. So very similar vibe with this one as far as mood is concerned. Anyway, so, so Darby has, they do such a great job of establishing Darby's character in the first couple of episodes of this thing, especially on the first one. And and she's she is kind of, you know, almost left the sleuthing life behind, it seems like, because she's written her book, and something happens to her 
a couple of years prior that kind of makes her, you know, take a different take a different turn in her life until she's approached by a billionaire who says, "Hey, I've got this case that I need solving." And, you know, I feel like you, you're the one to do it. It's at a secluded retreat. Why don't you come with me? Because, you know, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? And that's kind of where the story itself of the mystery really picks up. And when I say secluded retreat, it's like way out there. And it's this big, I, I almost don't even know how to describe it. Almost like this almost alien looking type home, right? So, and then, you know, Darby kind of thinks she saw something, but, you know, did she or didn't she? Because, you know, everybody thinks she's crazy sort of thing. So then she has to sort of deal with that as well. And she has to deal with her past. And one of the great ways that that Britt and Zal put this together as directors is they really make that part of her past matter. They really sell that and hit it home and show why it affects her character so much. I mean, that is, I mean, just driven into us, right? In that, especially in that first episode. So, but then, you know, things start to unravel because she decides to go to this retreat, right? She decides to go out there. She decides to try to investigate this thing. And it starts getting more and more complicated throughout these first few episodes. So again, this one, it's got, it's got a lot of good intrigue to it. I really like it. I like the darker vibe and the darker tone to this thing. I, I feel like, you know, the people at the retreat aren't necessarily overly eccentric because that's kind of what you get with these things sometimes, right? Where you get these overly eccentric characters that are just completely out there more than they probably need to be. I don't feel like they were overly eccentric at all, but I was just so locked in on Darby's character, quite frankly, that the, the rest of it just kind of fell into place for me because they did just such a wonderful job of establishing this thing in the first place. And she's, and when you first meet her, she's very quiet. She's very reserved. And you get to kind of see her. I don't necessarily want to say come out of her shell a little bit, because I'm not sure that that's really the right way to put it. But at the same, same time, you get to kind of see her change. But is that, you know, a product of the environment or is that a product of her trying to figure out what's going on with this case? Or is she really kind of changing a little bit? It actually reminded me, of the character of L in City of Ghosts, the podcast that's on the Realm Network right now. They kind of reminded me of L a lot. So if you haven't listened to City of Ghosts yet on Realm, you really should because it's an amazing show and it needs a second season, quite frankly. But And I'm not saying the two characters are exactly alike, but there's some similarities there that kind of made me connect with Darby's character a little bit more. So this was one that I was very intrigued by when I saw the trailers. And now that I've actually you know, dove into the show a little bit. I kind of want to see where this mystery goes, but more, more importantly, I want to see more of Darby and what she's able to do. Cause we know that there's a killer on the loose. Now that this upcoming episode, that's going to drop on the 28th. So less than a week from now, you've got, a, there's a storm that's going to be moving in as well. And you know, something's been, and things are starting to happen to Darby while she's in there too. So yeah, this it, there's a lot going on, but with the surroundings, with the characters, you know, you're obviously going to be making choices as to who you think is involved or who you think might be next sort of thing. And so this is just very well done and, and woven very well by Britt and Zal for this. And Britt also plays Lee, I should I should mention, in the show too. And then you've got Harrison Dix, Dick, Dickinson, excuse me, who plays Bill, who has a big part 
in this thing and so many other really, really good, talented people on this show as well. So Murder at the End of the World is definitely one of the, if you have Hulu, or I should say FX on Hulu, just to be proper. But if you have Hulu, make sure you're streaming this one. Very, very cool show. And I'm actually, seven episodes too, so you know we're going to get to some sort of conclusion or cliffhanger. We'll have to find out once we get to the end of this upcoming season. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of A Murder at the End of the World from FX on Hulu. Up next, Superman Legacy, the cast starting to come together, and a whole lot more nerd news is waiting for you right here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is David Hamlet from Superdog. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looks like we're more and more ready to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's time for nerd news. And Superman Legacy, now that the SAG After Strike is over, seems to be making a lot of casting announcements. The biggest one, though, easily has to be Nicholas Holt, who's going to be playing Lex Luthor. Of course, he's going to be opposite David Cornuswitz, Clark Kent, and Superman. Rachel Brosnahan, the other big name that we already knew about that's going to be Lois Lane, but Nicholas Holt, you don't get to really see him play the villain very often, but he has been in some really, really good stuff, some really legit roles. Of course, you might remember him in the X-Men franchise or any number of things that he's done. He's a legit good actor, but again, we don't get to see him play the villain almost ever. He's always some sort of a hero or at least a misunderstood character at best, right? So to see him step into the shoes of a villain like Lex Luthor, I think is going to be really, really amazing. And you can already kind of close your eyes and picture what he's going to look like as Lex Luthor. And I think that we'll probably, you know, we'll probably have him as the bald Lex Luthor pretty quickly, right? I don't think we're going to start out with a full head of hair like we did the last time because, you know, that was. I think we can all agree that that was a mistake. You know, look, I tried to defend it. I really did. But I kind of wish that I hadn't in retrospect because... It just didn't work out. So I think Nichols Holt's going to do this character right for sure. I, I just, I feel like to me, this is a cast that's really, really shaping up nicely. And to have somebody that is legit in the villain role like that, to have Nicholas Holt already lined up as Lex Luthor. And this is Lex Luthor that you could see him play this character for a while. It's not like, I don't think we're going to see Lex Luthor as being one of these one-off Superman villains like we've seen so many other times, right? Which, you know, kind of drives me nuts, quite frankly, when we get to see, you know, just the villain there and then all of a sudden, ah, nah, you know what, they're gone. Well, guess what? No. Yeah, I think he's going to be around for a bit, so I'm glad that they got somebody legit to play him. One of the later casting announcements as well, and this was the Hollywood Reporter basically had all of these announcements, by the way, was Skylar Gassando as Jimmy Olsen, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was not really familiar with his work because I had, didn't see Santa Clarita Diet or Righteous Gemstones, so I wasn't really familiar with Skylar's work, but then when I saw the photo that they used for him, I'm like, oh yeah, that he could, you know, he's definitely got the look, so and I'd have to, and of course, yeah, I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to go back and, you know, check out some of his stuff and see what we're talking about here, but I think at least look-wise, he looks the part, and that's that's already half the battle won when it comes to Jimmy Olsen. So if he can bring, I don't want, I want more of a goofy Jimmy Olsen this time around too. Not necessarily goofy, but fun loving at least. That's the kind of Jimmy Olsen that I I want. I don't need a serious, you know, gung ho Jimmy Olsen. No res, no disrespect to 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 Supergirl, 
right? I thought that that was a very different Jimmy Olsen character. As a matter of fact, it was James Olsen, first of all, right? And he was a little bit more mature at the time as well. Makad Brooks uh, play. I think that was, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his name. Jeez, my memory. That's, that's who played James Olsen in Supergirl and did a great job, but that was a different version of the character. I just hope that they kind of bring the silliness back to that character a little bit. And then we have Eve Tessmacher, who's going to be in Superman's Legacy as well. And Sarah Sampaio is going to, Sampaio, I think that's how you pronounce her name, is going to be portraying that character. She's relatively unknown. So, and, that, and that's okay, by the way. She just, she, she has that evil stare about her, though. And that was the one thing that jumped out at me immediately, is that she's got that Eve Tessmacher evil stare. This was one that I was familiar with, though. Maria Gabriela de Faria, who's going to be playing the engineers. That's Angela Spica, for those who don't know. If you don't remember Maria, you, then you didn't watch Deadly Class on Sci-Fi. She did a fantastic job in that one, playing Maria Salazar. So that was, and she was also in The Exorcism of God and a couple of other things. So she's, again, I, I, I've really enjoyed her work in that. So I think that this is going to be definitely a step up for her. For sure, but I think that she can absolutely make it work. So again, this cast is really, really kind of coming together. And this was, you know, I didn't expect to have the engineer in this movie. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, she's a member of the Authority, by the way. And the Authority is one of the movies that's going to be coming up going forward for James Gunn's reimagined DC Studios and DC Movie Universe and TV series too, by the way. So think about that. This is so now everything's starting to connect and come together. So obviously we'll probably see Maria again in the authority at some point. So they're casting people that they know can play these characters long term. They're thinking ahead. This is what Marvel did when they first cast their characters. They cast characters looking ahead saying these are people we could see playing these roles for the next decade or so. So they've really set themselves up, I feel like, nicely for this thing. Now, could it still be a colossal failure? Absolutely. It could still be a colossal failure. But at the same time, at least it seems like they've taken their time, they've done their due diligence to kind of get this thing right. And I mean, yeah, we're going to get Hawkgirl, we're going to get Mr. Terrific, we're going to get, you know, Guy Gardner and all these other amazing characters. So, look, at least they're thinking ahead. It seems like we've got things going in the right direction. And in 2025, We'll just all have to wait and see. Hopefully next year we'll at least have some sort of a trailer. But until cameras start rolling again, I'm not. I'm not even going to start. I'm not even going to report release dates anymore unless it's something that's already shot and in the can because it's just not worth it. So Superman Legacy, a lot of great new members of the cast that have been joined there. It's certainly something to be excited about. Speaking of excitement, I think that Kathleen Kennedy's taken a lot of heat over the years as the head of Lucasfilm. And rightfully so, most of the time. I'll agree with that. But one guy that everybody seems to like, there's a couple of guys that everybody seems to be happy with. Dave, John Favreau is one of them. And Dave Filoni is the other one. So now, apparently, Dave Filoni is the chief creative officer now at Lucasfilm. I don't know if he held that title before, but he does now. This is according to Variety. And he's going to be, quote, planning the future of Star Wars films and shows going forward. Now, of course, he was part of Clone Wars, he was a part of Rebels, Mandalorian, Ahsoka. So now he he still holds that executive vice president title, which he got in 2020, according to Variety. But now 
he looks like he's going to be the one that's steering the ship for Star Wars going forward. That doesn't necessarily mean that Kathleen Kennedy's out, but maybe this is finally somebody, if not Kathleen Kennedy herself, saying, look, you know, I need somebody doing this that's going to be able to project the future going forward and really, really try and and create something new and exciting and fresh, or if, or if not fresh, at least something that fans haven't seen before on screen, right? To be able to, you know, drum up excitement for Star Wars again. Because, I mean, I know that, you know, fans were happy with Ahsoka for the most part. You know, I still love The Mandalorian. But, you know, with Acolyte coming and Skeleton Crew, people are like, eh, and I, I don't know. People just seemed seem a little bit less thrilled about that. And of course, Andor is coming. Season 2 of Andor is coming as well, but that's kind of already in the can. So I don't know how quickly we'll see Filoni's influence really come through as far as him steering any projects. So I don't feel like we're going to get anything. I, I know that he's going to have his influences on Skeleton Crew and the Acolyte, but at the same time, I don't think we know for sure you know, that those are under his purview. Obviously, they haven't been... Cameras haven't started rolling on any of those. Although Skeleton Crew might have already started filming. I'd have to check check up on that. But it doesn't seem like those will have a heavy, heavy influence of Dave Filoni. So I'm curious to find out once he actually takes the reins and starts moving here. It's kind of like when James Gunn took over DC Studios. Like, you've got projects that are already coming out that don't have his influence, Aquaman being one of them that's going to be coming up, right? So you can't really count that. So what I'm trying to wonder is, is like, when do we point to it and say, okay, this is the point where he took over, and this is the point where we're really going to start paying attention to see if we notice any differences, right? So having Filoni, but having Filoni be a part of this, and I mean, anyone that's a Clone Wars or Rebels fan should be super excited because I know that fans have wanted more stories from that era, from that time period with those characters. So even if we're not backtracking to fill in any gaps there with some stories, at least getting more of those characters and getting some characters that, quite frankly, have been popular that weren't a part of the original trilogy, but fans still love them, right? Because that's the problem. It seems like every time they try to do anything that doesn't involve the original trilogy, it's a problem. Fans don't dig it as much as they should, right? With The Mandalorian being the first exception for that in a while. So... If we can find ways to take characters that fans already love and put them in live action and put them in different situations and tell more of the story or tell stories about characters that maybe haven't gotten enough shine. Hey, heir to the Empire, been waiting for that one for a while. Are they going to half-ass it or are they going to actually do it? So I'm kind of curious to see what the feeling is going to be on that going forward. And I know Filoni has said that that's a story that he would like to tell at some point. Not Not in those exact words, but certainly, you know, you know, in a manner of speaking, but he he did say when when he was giving his quotes about this, he says, you know, I'm not telling people what to do, but I do feel like I'm trying to help them with tell the best story that they want to tell. So he's not here to kind of take over and overlord everything necessarily and tell people and and dictate what to do. What what he's going to do probably is say, you know. Have you thought about this? You want to maybe try it like this? Or here's he knows canon. Okay, that's one thing that we know for sure about Dave Filoni. He might not always follow it to a T, but he certainly knows it, right? And I'm going to say this one more time for anybody that hasn't heard me say it on the show before because I think it's really, really important. Do you want canon to a T? Do you want the same thing that you've already read in a book or seen in a comic or something like that or or even seen in a previous you know, movie or animated series? Is that something you really want? Because I don't. I want something that's different, not hugely different necessarily, 
but certainly different. So I think that's something that we should be striving for, at least. Now, are we going to get it? I don't know. But it's certainly something that we can discuss at some point going forward. Then there's the Madam Web trailer that dropped recently. Of course, that movie is going to be coming out on Valentine's Day this upcoming year. And you basically got to see, you know, what this movie's going to be kind of about anyway. And it almost looks like it's going to be kind of a team-up, which is interesting, to say the least. Of course, we've got Dakota Johnson, who's going to be playing Madam Web. We got to see her. We got to see Sydney Sweeney's Julia Carpenter. So we got Spider-Woman in this thing. We got to see Isabel Merced as Anya Corazon, who I'm kind of excited after reading that book by Alex Segura to see in this thing. Do we know for sure if Adam Scott's playing Ben Parker? Has that been confirmed yet? Because I don't know that that's actually been confirmed. And Emma Roberts as Mary Parker. I don't know if those are necessarily confirmed yet. But, you know, if if IMDb says it, it must be right. Right? So we kind of get to see the origin story of Madam Web in this thing. We get to see that she, you know, she has the ability to, you know, maybe see the future and things like that. And then that's when your whole, you know, save the world from an evil Spider-Man character sort of comes into play. Right. So now it seems like there's certainly plenty of action in this thing. There's going to be no shortage of that. I just, it's like so far from this trailer, from what I saw anyway, this movie's not really sure what it wants to be. Does it want to be like this intriguing type thing? Does it want to be, you know, be cracking jokes like we've seen Marvel movies do in the past? Now, granted, again, this is a Sony Marvel movie. This isn't Marvel Studios, but it's almost like they've ever since Spider-Man Homecoming, they've kind of thought to themselves, well, you know, we should probably do something that has, you know, humor in it or something, right? And I'm not saying that they've got to be knocked down, drag out serious either, but at the same time, it's almost like they sort of changed their formula more once they started at least being adjacent to Marvel Studios anyway. So, again, this this had... I mean, I'm, I'm more intrigued than I was before. I think I've said on a previous show that this is a movie I'm not sure needs to be made anymore at this point. So, there's that. But at the same time, I mean, I, I, I like the cast of characters in it. And I would like to think that they're setting up something that maybe is able to tell some of the stories of these, you know, female Spider-Man characters that certainly don't get enough shine that have that have done very well in the comics and, and other stories as well, but not necessarily in live action. So I'm certainly excited for this. I want to give it a chance and hope with both hands that it becomes a successful, you know, franchise spawning type movie because it's exactly what it could do. It could really start something for these female Spider-Man characters and, and you know, spawn a whole bunch of different spin-off movies if it's successful. Or maybe they just keep the band together. Who knows? So, yeah, Madam Web, Valentine's Day, this upcoming year, 2024, is it going to be good? I don't know. First trailer at least had some really good action and some really cool vibes in it. So I'm excited to see what might come from this and also be completely ready for it to be a spectacular failure as well. Now, if you're not watching the Frasier revival, you really should be. It's definitely funny. Kelsey Grammer has done it again. It's a very different kind of Frasier, though. Although he told Variety, in an exclusive story for them, that he kind of wanted the return to be a little sillier than it actually was, which I thought thought was interesting because I certainly feel like there's some silliness in there, quite frankly. So I don't know that... 
you know, I, I would necessarily totally agree with Kelsey Grammer there. I certainly think that there's some silly moments, and it's definitely a it's definitely a different show. So that's the one thing that I had to kind of tell myself before I even started watching it. It's like, look, it's not going to be the original Frasier. It's going to be a different show. And it, and it really has been. So then he goes on to say in the same interview, though, he says, and I'm going to quote this. He says, I think we should go to another 100 episodes at least. There's enough groundwork laid between these two human beings, talking about Frasier and Freddy, that they are wonderful characters. I want to see where they go, and I want to see what happens to Frasier. I think we all kind of want to see what happens to Frasier in this new iteration. And part of it is, you know, is he finally going to find happiness? And we still don't really kind of have that, you know, is he going to find happiness or not kind of answer or what happened. We don't still fully know what happened in Chicago. They haven't got quite gone down that road yet. But seeing B.B. Newworth come back as Lilith, in this past episode was really, really great. And Perry Gilpin's going to be coming back as Roz as well at some point. So, and again, are there answers there potentially in some way, shape or form? And and quite frankly, some of these other characters have been really fun in the show as well. Like David is, is a fun character that I've really enjoyed. You know, Fraser's got his, you know, his set of friends now himself, which is really, really interesting relationships to explore and the dynamic really between Freddy and Frazier. It's kind of similar to the Martin Frazier dynamic from the original series, but it's different. Obviously they're kind of using a little bit of the same formula here a little bit, which I don't hate by the way. I really believe that they're working on something here. I, I and they, and they've already said they're not going to force stuff because somebody asked him in this interview if we were possibly going to see Niles back, if we were going to see David Hyde Pierce. And basically, Kelsey Grimmer said, we won't force it. We'll see what happens. And I like that. I don't. I like that we're not just going to get, you know, fra- we're not going to get characters from the original series just coming back for the sake of coming back. To me, it, it seems like they're doing this the right way. They want to tell a new story, and they want to focus on the character of Frasier. And they've done a good job focusing on some of these secondary characters as well. We're telling Frazier's story here. We're telling Freddie's story here and seeing how that progresses for him. So they've done it the smart way. Hopefully they continue to do so. And should they get another 100 episodes? Hey, if it's funny and the story's good, here's to 100 more as far as I'm concerned. Let's just see where this goes. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests and thanks to you for listening once again. If this is your first time or Maybe you've been listening for a while now. I appreciate you. Hopefully you and your family have had a happy Thanksgiving weekend and everybody's happy, healthy, and ready to get towards Christmas, right? Of course. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, like, let's let's start putting the Christmas decorations up. That's where my mind is at right now. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that wherever you get your podcast. You can also find out more at Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. Follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. So many things going to be happening there in the, in the coming days and weeks. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. 
they will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. <laughs>